Today's gospel reading, Jesus shows that God made and intended the family to be a blessing. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test Jesus, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, It's because of your hardness of heart he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing their children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the gospel. Some of you, if you're old enough, are going to remember some of the uh, good old family shows from like way, way, way back when. Like Ozzie and Harriet, uh, My Three Sons. Leave it to Beaver, uh, Father Knows Best, you know, Robert Young, Jane Wyatt. Some of you remember those shows, huh? And a lot of those shows you had, like Father Knows Best, you had the wife who kind of just did everything, and the dad went to work and came home. But especially in that one, whenever a situation came up, uh, Robert Young's character was Jim and his wife was Margaret. He always had this word of, sage advice that he could put into just about any situation. And so we had all these shows from that time about what an ideal family was and what it looked like. Well, that's all nice and nostalgic and everything, but that isn't reality, is it? Because families really aren't like that. And, and we can see as we look around the world now and we look at what's happening, families are falling apart, they're breaking up, people are hurting each other emotionally, sometimes physically, in families, and it's, and it's a mess these days. But I don't really think it was any different back even in the Bible times. If you look at uh, the, the Psalms, the prophets, and and those when God is pronouncing a word of judgment on the people, one of the most common themes is how people treat widows and the fatherless. There's a word in the, in the Hebrew, the word is yadom, comes from a very little used root word that means to be grieved or to be alone. And that Yadom becomes the word that gets translated in the more modern translations as orphan, in the older translations as fatherless. That was an issue 
back then, taking advantage of the fatherless and the orphans, and God was constantly accusing the people of doing that. So those issues existed back then. In fact, even back in when, when God was setting up, his, setting up his people and giving them rules to live by and the laws that were going to help organize the Hebrew people as a society, one of the things that he said more than once was, do not neglect the fatherless or the widows in your land, even if they're not part of your people. Do not neglect the fatherless and the widows. And uh, so that, that was a big deal. And that Yadom, that fatherless, doesn't necessarily, you know, our typical view of orphan is no parents, so they go live in an orphanage. But fatherless doesn't necessarily mean that. A single mom with kids, those kids are fatherless. Or it may even be in a family that the father is at least emotionally absent. Those kids are fatherless. And the same thing existed back then too. So this has been part of creation almost since the beginning. Where there have been fatherless. Where there have been Yadom. But God sees himself as a father to all. Certainly if you go back to creation and you go back to what we read a little bit ago. He... Adam and Eve came from where? God created them, right? God just created them. So in a very real sense that way, he was their father because he was responsible for their existence. And he demonstrated really what a father ought to be in that situation or really any parent. But he, he loved them. He spent time, according to the story, you know, kind of like walking in in the garden in the evening with him. He wanted to spend time with him, wanted to be with him. He loved him, cared about him. He provided for him. He gave him this place to live that provided for all their needs. They never had to worry about anything. He protected them and took care of them. And when they messed up, he disciplined them. And there were consequences for what they had done. But it doesn't mean he didn't love them. Even when he was saying, you can't be in this place anymore. You have to leave this place. You can't see my face anymore. You can't be physically in my presence anymore because of what you've done. Even in the midst of all that, when Adam and Eve realized they were naked and they were ashamed, God made clothes for them. I mean, is that loving and caring or what? So in that sense, he is like the, the, a primo-type parent in that family. And he put them in a family, made them husband and wife, and the way it's described is that when they came together as husband and wife, they were one flesh. Just, they were one flesh. One unit that shouldn't be separated. I ran across this uh, verse in um, Psalm 68. And remember, Psalms was one of the places where God talks about this a lot. But in Psalm 68, 5 and 6, it's talking about God, and it says, His name is the Lord. And then it says, A father to the fatherless, 
a defender of widows. God sets the lonely, remember the root word for yadom means to be alone. He sets the lonely in families. That is God's concern. That's what he wants. So in that sense, he is uh, a perfect father, a perfect parent, a perfect nurturer and caregiver for us. But as a people on this earth, and we cannot excuse ourselves from it, we are rejecting God's fatherhood. We reject his parenthood. How do we do that? We do it by deciding we don't want to do what he says. We don't want to follow him. We don't want what he wants. We even try to take credit for being provided for as though it's something that we do ourselves, that we take care of ourselves and we take care of our families. And the tendency is for us to give ourselves credit, to pat ourselves on the back for that and not realize that it really comes from God that it's God caring for us. And so we're, in that sense, we're rejecting God's fatherhood. And we decide, I want to make my own decisions about what's right and wrong. I want to do what I want to do. And, or sometimes, even if I know something's not the right thing for me to do, well, I'll just do it anyway. And sometimes, as fathers or mothers, we don't follow what God wants us to do and it's not just being a father mother it's maybe if we're in any kind of position where we have some authority or something sometimes that gets abused we don't want to be the way God is we reject his parenthood and then that has effects that kind of snowball into the rest of our lives as as we see then when, when you start carrying this out, you see families breaking up. You see marriages breaking up. You see kids running away, or you see parents uh, hurting kids, either emotionally or physically, uh, sometimes killing kids. And, you know, it, I mean, we just had just recently, within the last two, three weeks, there were a couple instances in, in Memphis where somebody beat their kid to death. One was a couple months old. Uh, one was a little bit older. Uh, I mean... You know, that stuff happens. So that's the effect of somehow shoving God as our Father into the background and shoving Him in a, in a way and not using Him as an example and an inspiration for us. That's the effect. And this is worldwide. It seems to us like it's getting worse, but it's like always been there. It's just more public now because news is more instant, I guess. But it's there. Well, this whole situation creates a dilemma for God. On the one hand, God has this this sense of justice about what's right and wrong and and that in his presence and in his scheme of things, things, you can't do things that are wrong. Well, after all, who's God? The supreme being, the author of everything, the supreme power. So what he says goes, right? Who are we to argue? So he sets the standards about what's right and wrong And when we step outside of those, then God, that needs to be satisfied. There's this concept of the wrath of God. Wrath is not some sort of angry, flailing, you know, violent uh, reaction to it. Wrath is more of a concept that means 
something has happened that has to be satisfied, that there has to be justice for it. There has to be a, a something that pays for what happened. And God's wrath needs to be satisfied. That means payment for what we've done is has to be taken care of. So that's, on the one hand, God's sense of justice and righteousness. On the other hand, is God's great love for you. He created you. You're a special creation. He chose you to be who you are. So he has a vested interest in who you are. And he loves you and he cares about you and he would hate to see anything happen to you. He does not want to punish you. He does not want to sentence you to the results for the sin that's in our lives, which is death. But then you got this. So what does he do? Well, then he had an idea, because you know what? God has another son. He has another son against whom there's no wrath. He has another son that never did anything wrong, that followed, followed God's will perfectly, that respected God as, as his father. He calls him that all the time. He respected that and honored that and did what he was supposed to do. He was perfect. And so here's God's solution. I'm going to make the good son or I'm going to ask the good son to pay the price for the bad ones, for the ones that have not followed me. I'll make him take the punishment that will satisfy my wrath. He'll be the one that satisfies my sense of justice not the others. How many of you, when, when you were kids, were ever punished for something a brother or sister did? I have. Probably most of you. While the other one kind of smirked over on the side. Didn't feel good? Felt unjust? Unfair? When that happened? Well, imagine how many times more it was for Jesus to be the one to suffer the punishment for you and me. And then to come and say, I want you to be my brothers and sisters. God went to great lengths, I mean great lengths, to take care of this imbalance and this situation that he found himself in. He went to great lengths to take care of it. And it meant the sacrifice of the good son for us who were not so good. So here's a question. Which one of you which one of you would sacrifice your child to pay for the wrong that someone else had done to you. Who would do that? That's what God did. Great lengths he went to because of his great love for you.
He was aggressive about it, firm about it, stayed committed, didn't make any difference how he felt about it. His love for you was so great that he would do whatever. And he did. 